This morning, if you have a Bible, I invite you to follow along with me. I'm going to read a couple of passages. We are moving through the story, story that God is writing in the world. It's recorded in this book. Uh, The story recorded in this book is taking place right before our very eyes. It's taking place today. It's uh, taking place in your life, and it's taking place in mine. We read of an event that took place, an amazing event, and I read from the book of Acts. I read the first 14 verses and then a section uh, from chapter 2 and then the book of Ephesians. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he'd chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were intently looking up, into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you to heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary and mother of Jesus and his brothers. Then we jump over to chapter 2. Ten days later, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then these two verses from Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11. Now his intent, he's talking about God here, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known in the, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this story that we're going through, it's easy to miss what's going on here to, to see what's really happening because often we think that life is about us. 
don't we? we? We think about life is about me and what's going on in my life, and, and we often think of my purposes, and yet we see here that the purpose of human history, the purpose of what's going on, the purpose of the story, I hate to tell you this, but it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's his story, and so we see that, you know, we think that we're making history. We're not making history. We're just recording history. God is the one that's making history. God is the one that's writing this story, and the story has a purpose. Did, did you hear it? The purpose of the story? So that the manifold wisdom of God may be known to authorities and rulers in the heavenly realms through the church. That, it says, was his eternal purpose. Meaning, that was his purpose from the very beginning of time. That God was going to manifest just his amazing character and wisdom, and he, he chose to do it through the church. It's amazing to think about that he's demonstrating something, he's teaching, he's instructing. Uh, the church is like an object lesson. You know when you're teaching something and you use an object lesson? The church is an object lesson and he's, he's demonstrating this to rulers and powers and authorities and angels and demons and, and all of the heavenly hosts, really everything in the universe. He is demonstrating his manifold wisdom. The word manifold is the same word that's used for the outer a garment that was, uh, they used to wear that had complex embroidery on it. And so it's like God is weaving together, demonstrating his, his manifold wisdom in, in, a, in a picture that's just absolutely amazing. We tend to gravitate towards uh, salvation that's man-centered. You know, that God's primary purpose in life is to save us and bless us. Well, that's a purpose that God has, but that's not his primary purpose. Salvation is God-centered. God is demonstrating something about himself. He, he is revealing his glory, and he is demonstrating this to, to angels. It's just an amazing thing to think about, that, that God is using your life and the story he's writing, and he's collectively using the life of the church as a demonstration to teach angels. It says in the Bible that angels longed to understand what was going on with salvation. So they are learning. I, I believe that heavenly hosts are watching what is going on and, and able to know and see what's happening and what God is doing in his world. And so we see here that God is using the church to demonstrate how amazing his grace is. There's a lot of us here. In fact, all of us here probably shouldn't be here. But we're here because of God's grace. And so he's demonstrating this grace to, to angels, and, and, and they're looking down going, he's going to save that person? Yeah. He's going to say, and that person? And, and then they, they look down and they see, you know, they see the God bringing together Gentiles and Jews all under, under one head, Jesus Christ. Uh, they see the crucifixion. I mean, that was an incredible thing. Jesus going to the cross, and, and all of heaven is in horror, and, and all of Satan's hosts are cheering. It's like a big fumble. 
on the goal line. And everybody thinks that, you know, the hosts of hell have the ball and the referees have signaled the hosts of hell and they unpile the pile. And lo and behold, Christ has the ball in the end zone. And so we see this, this manifold wisdom of God is being demonstrated to all the forces of evil and good in the world. This morning, <clears throat> we just read an amazing, amazing event from the book of Acts. I mean, this is, this is one of the most incredible events that you could ever read about. And so we see here that, you know, God is fulfilling his biblical prophecy. I'm sure everyone in heaven, when they saw what happened in that book of Acts, they're going, can you believe what just happened? Can you believe what just happened? I mean, we looked at Calvary and how God's love and justice was poured out on that cross at the same time. His complete, perfect justice and his complete, perfect love all come together on that cross on Calvary. Uh, we looked at the death and burial of Christ. That he was in the tomb for three days and all of Satan's hosts were celebrating. And then we looked at the resurrection. And we see that Jesus has come to give us life. If you don't have life, you don't have anything. Jesus said, this son is my life. The life I bring is in the son. And now this morning we see the prophesied coming of the Holy Spirit. So Christ died. He was buried. Three days later, he was resurrected. Forty days later, he ascended. And 50 days later, we see this event. Ten days after his ascension, we see they came. They waited for a day. They waited two days. They waited eight days. And on the tenth day, we see here in the, in the book of Acts, that what they were waiting for happened. And the Spirit came, not in a gentle breeze, not in a gentle breeze. They weren't going, did you just feel something? It says it came with, and this is a very strong word, it came with a violent wind. How many of you ever heard a tornado? Okay. They say that a tornado sounds like a freight train going through your house. I think that's what this sounded like. I think it was a deafening noise. There was fire and tongues of fire coming down. It was a... You could never deny this event. It was undeniable. And so we see here the, the Spirit of God coming. People are speaking in different languages. And from that moment on, their lives would never be the same. They had the desire to seek God. They had the desire to serve Christ, but they didn't have the power to do it. And so with the coming of this Spirit, we, we see this taking place. You know, we celebrate Christmas big time. And Christmas is the day that God came to dwell among us. We do presents, we do celebrations, we give holidays, people take time off of school. We buy Christmas presents and Christmas cards. So when was the last time you bought a Pentecost card? When was the last day you took a vacation because of Pentecost? And yet I would submit to you today that Pentecost is, is no less significant than Christmas. Because at Pentecost, one of the members of the Trinity, <clears throat> just as important, the Father is just as important as the Son, the Son is just as important as the Holy Spirit. There, there's no, uh, all are equal in value. All are equal in their essence as God. 
And so we see here that on this day, when the member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, came and notice, not to dwell among us, but to dwell in us. Not to be with us, but to be in us. And so today, we see this ministry of the Holy Spirit. You could not be born again without this coming of the Holy Spirit. You could not have assurance. You wouldn't be sitting here with the assurance that you're a child of God. You would be doubting. You would be questioning. You wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be, able to be convicted. You wouldn't have power to overcome sin in your life. You wouldn't be gifted to serve. You wouldn't have the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. None of that would be a part of your life had not God sent the Holy Spirit to come, had God not himself come to indwell and to empower us. This is huge. And so this morning, I'm going to do something a little different. It's such a big topic. At some point, I would like to do a series of uh, take a month and just look at the entire ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's not time to do that this morning. So this morning, what I'm going to do, I'd like to put in context here. In the next 15 minutes, I want, I want us to see the manifold wisdom of God, how this thing that happened at, in the book of Acts, how it fits into the whole scheme of what God's doing. And you're going to be amazed. If you understand what's going on here, if you see what's happened in, the, in history and what, what we anticipate happening this is really an amazing thing to see. And so today, um, I want to put in context the, uh, the feast that God called his people to, uh, to, rec- to remember and to celebrate. So how many of you have ever done a study on the seven feasts? Okay, wow. This is amazing. You're going to say, why didn't I hear this before? So let's just take a look. And uh, I invite you, we're going to go way back to Genesis 1.14 and a couple passages from the Old Testament. Here's what it says in Genesis 1.14. It says, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs. Moad is the word, signs. Let them serve to designate appointed times. So one of the purposes of the lights is not just to admire it, it's to mark time. Because God is setting times. He has his appointed times. That's what the word moed means there when it talks about signs. If you turn to the book of Leviticus, some of you wonder if there's anything that can come out of the book of Leviticus uh, other than killing animals and sacrifices. Uh, But chapter 23 Look with me at verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed feasts. That word is moad. It's the same word we read in Genesis. These are my signs. Okay? Appointed times. Think of them as appoint, not just feasts, but appointed times. These are God's appointed times. These are going to be markers in human history, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. He talks there about the Sabbath, and then he shares these appointed times. 
The Passover, count that with me. The unleavened bread, first fruits, feast of weeks, number four. Those are four spring festivals. Then we have three fall festivals. Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? Seven of them. You think that's significant? Seven feasts, a sign of completion. Seven appointed times. Let's just walk through them with me. The Passover. Remember that, where they put blood on the door and they were remembering that God had delivered them from from judgment? That God had sent, that, that through the blood of a lamb, through the blood of a lamb, an unblemished lamb, that the people could be saved from judgment. God said, I want you to practice that. And so they, they observed that. Year after year after year, they did the Passover. That's what the Passover is about. Unleavened bread. This was held the day after Passover. This is where they took the matzah bread, and they took the, the middle one, and it was, it was striped as a remembrance of the brutal beating that the people had had, and they broke that bread in half and they took that broken and and half of that bread and they wrapped it up in a napkin and they would hide it. It was unleavened bread signifying that the bread was sinless and then it was to be hidden for a period of time and then revealed. The unleavened bread. The day after the first Sabbath after the Passover. So there's Passover, next day unleavened bread, then there's a Sabbath day and then there is the feast of the first fruits. This was a day that they celebrated the first fruits of the harvest, the barley harvest that came in, and they celebrated the first fruit, anticipating that the rest of the fruit would come later. Then we see that seven Sabbaths in one day, or in other words, 50 days later, was the feast of Pentecost. This was a remembrance of the day when God had given his covenant promise to his people on Mount Sinai, he gave them the law so that they might be in relationship with him. The day of Pentecost is a celebration of that event. So those are the four spring feasts. Then we move to fall. Feast of the trumpets. Trumpet was blown. It, was a, it marked a period of self-examination and repentance because it now announced that the king was coming. It, it announced the, royal, the, the fact that God was king and that with that kingship that he would judge the earth. And so it was a time when the trumpet blew, it was a time to, for the people to, to look into their hearts. Feast of Atonement. This day represented the end of the period of repentance and the final judgment, and it represented the day of atonement, when those who had repented would be fully atoned uh, and experience the, the reality of the full atonement of their sin. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles. This was the most celebrated of all feasts. This is when they celebrated the ingathering of the rest of the harvest. It was, a, a, it was an amazing time. It was a time of great celebration. And it was also time to remember that God had delivered them through all of that wilderness time and brought them into the completion of his kingdom. Seven 
appointed times. Seven appointed times. Not, not, just, not just feasts that people did and look back, but seven markers in human history. Seven markers in the story. This is very significant. God is a God of order. So he picks seven feasts that are going to mark seven appointed times in the story. So let's just walk through how this has happened. It's Passover. It's Wednesday afternoon. They're killing the lambs in the temple. The priests are slaughtering the lambs as they've done for years. And at that very moment in time, that very afternoon, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is being slain on the cross. The exact day. And you know what? That should have never happened. That should have never happened. The Jewish people were, they were so particular about their laws, they wouldn't even, on the Sabbath, they wouldn't even, you couldn't drag a chair across the floor because it would make a groove in the sand and that was considered plowing on the Sabbath. They had to pick it up and make sure it didn't. That's how particular they, they were. When they convicted Jesus and sent him to that cross, they broke every rule in the book. On my desk, I have five sheets of paper uh, outlining all the ways that they broke the laws. You couldn't arrest somebody at night. You couldn't try somebody for capital offense at night. Uh, you, couldn't have a, uh, you couldn't have anyone in the prosecution bringing the charge as the Sanhedrin did. Uh, you could not, you found that you could not do, there were like nine different laws that were broken that day. You couldn't judge anyone on the eve of a Sabbath day. You couldn't, if someone was convicted of a capital offense, you could, not, you could not carry out that. You had to let 24 hours go by before you could carry out any capital offense. Just about every law that could be broken was broken that night. Why? Because this was God's appointed time. Because Christ, the Passover lamb, would be sacrificed on the very day that Israel had, sac had celebrated the Passover for many, many years. And when evening came, they quickly took, it, they quickly took Jesus down from the cross, they wrapped him in grave clothes, his striped, uh, scourged body, and they wrapped him up and they put him in a tomb. As they were doing that, the Jewish uh, families were sitting down with the matzah bread, striped as a symbol of the scourging. They were breaking that. They were wrapping it in a napkin. They were hiding it away at the exact same time that Jesus Christ is being put in the tomb, and there he is for three days hidden away. On the very day of unleavened bread, we see Jesus Christ is in the tomb. So why is he in the tomb three days and three nights? Why not two days? Why not four? Why not seven days? Why three days and three nights? Because these are God's appointed times. And so we see that on the very morning when the priests get up, Sunday morning, day after the Sabbath, they get up, it's the Feast of First Fruits. They're going into the temple and they're celebrating that the first fruits of the harvest have now come in. The first fruits of the harvest have come in. And so we see that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> Let me just share that. Verses 22 and 23. This is what he writes. He says, For an Adam, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. And so it's, a, it's on that very morning, Sunday morning, the day of first fruits, that the third feast is fulfilled exactly, precisely on the day because it is God's appointed time. He then appears for 40 days. Does that sound like a, a number you've heard before? 40 days it rained on the ark, 40 days Moses in the, was out, Jesus 40 days in the wilderness, he spends 40 days, and then he ascends, and they wait not five days, not eight days, they wait 10 days. Why 10 days? Because it's God's appointed time. The Feast of Pentecost, the day they celebrated that God sent his law down from heaven with violence and with, with fire and with smoke and with clouds, and he sent down his law so that his people might be in covenant relationship with him. And on the day of Pentecost, we see the words of the prophet are fulfilled from the book of Joel. And he writes, In the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men will see dreams. Even my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. God is not sending down his law. He's now sending down his very spirit because he said, I'm going to write my law in your hearts through my spirit. And so the spirit comes down with flames of fire, with violent wind, in very much the same way on Mount Sinai. Why? Because this is God's appointed times. These are appointed times in the story. So those are the four spring festivals. They were all fulfilled by Christ on the very day that they had been celebrated for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's an amazing part of the story. It's part of the demonstration of the manifold wisdom of God in what he's doing in human history. An amazing thing is, is, is that the church, we as a church get to be a part of that object lesson of what God is doing to demonstrate that wisdom. And now with the coming of the Holy Spirit, everything changes. Now very common people have access to the Spirit of God. They looked at the followers of Jesus and they said, these guys, we can't, they're just common men. Well, why is there so much power in their life? They're just common men. Because the Spirit had come upon them. And now we have access to God's wisdom and God's power and God's authority and God's comfort and conviction and guidance. It's also sobering to realize wherever I go, whatever I say, he goes with me. The Spirit of God is in us. So, in conclusion, what about, what about these last three festivals? What about the trumpets and the atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles? The final three feasts, these are the fall feasts, and these are yet to come. 
But I want, you, I want to remind you today, these are also God's appointed times in the story. They have yet to be fulfilled. And so the Feast of Trumpets, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the Feast of the Trumpets, they blew the trumpets, the announcement of the king, and that as the king came, that he would call people into accountability. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now I'm not, I want you to go home and quote me and say, Pastor said the Lord's coming on this day or that day, <clears throat> but I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's on the Feast of Trumpets on the very day. And it's different each day, each fall. It's in September this year. But when the Lord comes for his church, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, but I would say he's coming on that day. <clears throat> as he came on every other of his appointed times, that on that day, the Feast of Trumpets, that, that the dead and you know, those, the church will come, and it will be the final announcement. It will be the final opportunity for people to repent. And during that time, there will be a, a great revival within Israel, the scriptures tell us. It will be a time of examination, just like it was of old, except this time, many of those Jews will understand Here's a picture, just to help you visualize. Uh, you see the spring, you see those spring feasts, appointed times, they're called holidays there, and then the fall. In the spring, in the spring ones, he comes as the servant, as the savior, as the redeemer. In the fall, he's coming as the king. And that's the way the feasts were celebrated. The fall feasts were the announcement of of the reign of God as a king. We see there's a very different tone in the fall festivals. We see the Feast of Atonement. It's marked by the end of the opportunity of repentance. The Day of Atonement was the day when there was the full acknowledgement of for those that had repented that their sins were fully gone, all the implications were fully eliminated, and so we see here that on the Day of Atonement, this will be the final return. This will be the final day. This will be the call. This is when the curtain comes down. And we will see that there will be uh, <clears throat> the visible return of Christ to judge all the nations of the earth. And lastly, the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the final feast. This is the great celebration. This is the one where all of the nations of the earth where all of the harvest is gathered in and there will be a celebration of all that God has, all that has been sown and all that has been harvested through the generations. My point this morning is this, that this story is an amazing story. It is a demonstration of the manifold wisdom of God. And as a part of the church, you get to be, I get to be, we get to be 
the, the object of, God, of God's manifestation of his grace and his love and all that he's doing and, and all, all the hosts are looking on in amazement as to what God is doing for the people in his church. And I trust that that will be a, a great uh, encouragement for you and you will remember that the history of this world, you know, history is God's story. And it's God's story for God's glory. And maybe some days you're playing a part in that story that, that you didn't want to play. Or maybe the events went in some way that didn't match up to the, the way you wrote your story. And I, I just want to admonish you to remember, this isn't your story. This is God's story. And uh, one day when that final celebration comes, we will fully see just how amazing uh, it really is. <clears throat> Father, this morning we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for these appointed times. Lord, you weren't just randomly telling your people to celebrate. You had a great purpose in mind that these feasts would, would mark out the entire course of human history. We are amazed at your wisdom. We are amazed at how Christ, how his life ended on that cross on very Passover, how he was buried on that very unleavened bread, how he was raised on the exact day of first fruits, how your spirit came on the exact day of Pentecost. And Father, we look forward to the rest of the appointed times. Might we, as your people, be faithful. Lord, might we be ready. Might we not be found without the Son who gives life. And so to that end, we pray today. Thank you for your word to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming, and uh, you are dismissed. We invite you to Connection Cafe. <clears throat>